Good morning. Hope you uh, <clears throat> all are enjoying fall weather. Who's ready for that? I uh, yesterday morning was headed to my uh, my hunting blind and my phone read 33 degrees. I'm like, all right. Remember last week when I said I talked to that cameraman, you know, the week before, and he's like, "Where's this Midwest fall and winter I hear about?" Well, it, it showed up. You know, it's what we do around here. You wait a couple days, and the weather changes, and Go from one extreme to the next, but hey, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, we are, are uh, going to wrap up our series on the Holy Spirit today. Next week, we're going to start a brand new series that uh, I want to encourage you about. It's called Questions Jesus Asked, and uh, we're going to look at what might look like just kind of a, a set of unrelated topics, but they're all related because it's something Jesus asked of somebody else. He either asked the Pharisees, or he asked his disciples, or he asked just his followers, or anybody who happened to be uh, following him or around him at that moment in time, asked them a question that led to a conversation that ultimately we can look at as lessons for us still today. We're going to kick that off next week by asking the question, why do you worry? But today we're going to wrap up uh, this, this series on the Holy Spirit that we started a few weeks back, talking about the Holy Spirit as a person talking about who the Spirit is, not what He is, but who He is, that He's a He, not an It. And we said if the Spirit becomes a person for you, it's easier for the Spirit to become personal for you. Uh, Brad talked a couple of weeks ago about the promise of the Holy Spirit, about what the Spirit does for you, things like guiding you, counseling you, helping you, maybe convicting you, maybe, maybe steering you back in the right direction if you're kind of drifting off a little bit. Last week we talked about the presence of the Holy Spirit, what he does in us, transforming us for hope or, or with freedom or with confidence. And as we get ready to wrap this up today, I just want to ask you a question. As we've kind of gone through now three weeks of this series, uh, how have you most noticed the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Uh, my, my guess is probably in one of those ways we just mentioned. Like you notice the Holy Spirit by comfort, and we've needed that here lately. Or you've noticed him by guidance, by, by guiding your steps, maybe leading you in a path that you hadn't really thought about ahead of time, or, or taking you in a path you didn't even know was there. Maybe if you're like me, you feel his presence through conviction, through laying on your heart kind of this feeling of guilt almost because you didn't do something you should have or you did something you shouldn't have. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I saw a meme on Facebook uh, the other day that, that cracked me up. I've seen it before, but it, I think it's very relatable for me. But it said, how I know the Holy Spirit's in my life. And it showed just basically a, a, a somebody reaching out and holding a dog's mouth shut. And it said, you know, basically the implication was, the Spirit just keeps me from talking sometimes. And I need that sometimes. <laughs> But, you know, it's just that idea of, of almost protecting you from doing something you shouldn't do. But let me, let me take this a step further today because I want to wrap this series up by looking at maybe one more way we can really truly notice the Spirit and ask this question, what about the power of the Holy Spirit? How have you noticed the power of the Holy Spirit within you? If I just say that word power, what comes to mind for you? Like, there's different things. Maybe you think about a person who's powerful, either because they are physically strong, or maybe they're, they're wealthy or have influence, or they just have, they're in a position of authority. Maybe it's that. Or maybe you think about kind of how I do with power. You think about the natural side of power, things like water or wind in particular, how over time they can actually form the earth around them. They can change the, the nature and the fabric of, of just what's going on in the world. 
We can harness water and we can harness wind and use them for energy. They're so powerful. When we lived out in the, the, the Northwest, we saw the, the power of fire all the time. Every summer, uh, actually around this time of the year, the, the fires would finally start to subside because the rain would start back up and it would be so dry over the summer that one lightning strike lights an entire forest on fire. And we would just see its destructive nature. You could watch, especially in California, as it threatened and even burned down towns on occasion. Just that, that, that power that almost is unharnessable in some ways. When we look at the Holy Spirit, we see that there is a lot of that power that we actually have within us through the Holy Spirit. That the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives equips us and empowers us and enables us to fulfill the mission Jesus has given us. We talked about this uh, uh, several months ago, in fact, actually it was back last summer, about the will of God in your life. What does the will of God in your life look like? And it's the Spirit that gives you what you need to fulfill that. But sometimes I think we, we misunderstand that. We, we look past that. Sometimes I think we forget that in every single thing that we do, the Spirit is active. And a good reminder of that is just look through the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus. And you see how Jesus used the Holy Spirit and the Spirit was present and active in everything that he did. I mean, here's just a, a few examples. The, the Spirit was present and active at Jesus' baptism. It says that he came down like a dove and, and rested upon Jesus. He was there at the temptation of Jesus. He led Jesus out into the wilderness. He was there and active throughout the ministry of Jesus, guiding him, taking him where he needed to go. He was there in the preaching of Jesus, that Jesus spoke the words the Spirit gave him to spoke, and he was there, it says, in Acts, in the miracles of Jesus. Again, always present. And Jesus, of course, this is the Son of God. This is God in flesh. But yet the Spirit was still there and active in those times. So how does the Spirit work the same for us? I think we could ask the question specifically, how does the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit impact us so that we can do those things God gave us to do. Because if God gave us a will for our lives, that is ultimately for the kingdom. So how, how does that work out? A couple of ways we're going to look at and spend some time on this morning that I think it can help us. First is the Spirit impacts us through our abilities, impacts us through our gifts, impacts us on those things ultimately that we're good at. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says that we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And maybe you're familiar with this idea. Maybe you're not. Maybe this is new to you. But these are something that often we refer to as spiritual gifts. And if you were to look through the New Testament, look through the writings of Paul, you're going to find a couple of different spots. There's one in Romans, there's one in Corinthians that lay out what some of these spiritual gifts are. And it's a pretty extensive list. You could just Google spiritual gifts and you'll actually probably get a bulleted point version of them that's easier to read, quicker to read. And you can look through and go, oh, well, I think I might have that. That might describe me. And you may look at these and go, I think I have that. And you really don't, because sometimes we want those things. But you can actually do what's called a spiritual gifts assessment. And again, if you just Google that, there's a couple that pop up right off the bat. Very reliable. And it's kind of like a personality quiz. You take this, answer the questions honestly, it'll tell you what your spiritual gifts are. Some of them may be obvious to you. You may be like, of course, I've got the spiritual gift of leadership, I run my own business. Or I've got the spiritual gift of discernment, or I've got the spiritual gift of, of hospitality. Maybe you'll realize you had one and you didn't know you had it. But those assessments help you see where God specifically has gifted you. And maybe just as importantly, where he hasn't gifted you. 
Because sometimes I think we like to think we're gifted in areas that we're not. But I think there's also, too, some gifts that we get that aren't going to show up on those lists. They're gifts like musical ability or humor or, or maybe creative design. And they're things that we can ultimately utilize for the kingdom. Sometimes you just know yourself. You know, okay, I know I'm good at this. I know this is a natural ability for me. I know that I'm, I'm good at studying and relating back something in a lesson. Or I know I'm good at caring for people or being a listening ear, almost being like a counseling type of ear somebody can talk to. I already know that about myself. You might say that. Good. You know that already. Natural abilities are often an indicator of spiritual gifts. But understand this, they're not spiritual gifts simply because it's something you're good at. There's a spiritual gift when you start to use that for somebody else. Not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the world and the kingdom around you. I think in other words, we could say it like this, spiritual gifts aren't for you, they're for you to give away. They're for you to give and bless other people with. Again, go back to that verse we just read in Romans chapter 12. Paul says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. In other words, God, through his grace and mercy, gifted you and blessed you in a certain way. He, he gifted and blessed me in a certain way. And the question is, can we figure out what to do with this? great example of this that, that is a, of a unique gift that is ultimately being used for everybody else comes from one of my, my favorite professional athletes. And I may have told you this story before, so forgive me if I have. One of my favorite professional athletes of all time is a guy who actually just finished his professional career last week. It's Adam Wainwright, who pitched for the St. Louis Cardinals. Wainwright pitched for the Cardinals for 18 years. He just retired. He was 42 years old, which in professional athletes' terms means he should have died four years ago. Like, I mean, he's just way past, but he was able to still do it. And about six or seven years ago, he was doing an interview, and at that point in time, people were wondering if his career is about to be over with. And he said this in an interview. He said, God gave me an ability that he hasn't given very many people, and I want to use it for him, and I want to use it for other people. And he said then, six years ago, I want to play this game for as long as I can so I can make as much money as I possibly can so I have more to give away. He said, I want to give away every dollar I make. And he went on record and said, I hope the last check I write before I die bounces because I've, I've given it all away. And he's done that. And I, I think God honored that. And he made over $180 million playing baseball for 18 years. On top of money, he makes some endorsements. And now he's transitioning from a baseball career to a music career. Because who knew, a couple years ago, he discovered, I can sing and play the guitar too. And now he's going to use that. And he takes that, and he, he supports missions groups all over the world, and he helps with, uh, with uh, clean water initiatives in, play, in remote places in Africa. He just wants to help people. He wants to leave a dent in the kingdom, and he's been very, very clear about that. Now, obviously, for most of us, that's not something we can do from that financial point of view, but we all can do something that maybe somebody else can't because of unique gifts given to us that we can use for the kingdom. I think we need to look at it this way. God doesn't give you gifts for your own benefit, but he gives them for the benefit of the kingdom around us. How are you use, using that? How are you doing that? How are you letting that work out in the world around you? Maybe for you, it's a pretty small window. Maybe most of us don't have the reach of a professional athlete with fame, but we all have circles, 
parents. You've got circles within your kids' schools or your kids' teams that they play on or your neighborhoods. We've got circles where we work. We've got circles with our family. We've got circles even within here in the church or within other churches. We have different circles of influence that we all have that we can all impact. And sometimes I think too often, I've heard people say things like, but this is my ability. I've always had this one, or maybe it's the flip side of, you know what, I worked my my tail off to get this. I worked my tail off to get good at that. Great. Congratulations for your determination and your hard work. That's great. Some people can't do that. Some people don't have that. But remember and never ever forget, God created you on purpose for a purpose. Ephesians 2, it says, we're his craftsmanship, we're his workmanship. Some translations even say his masterpiece. That means we were intentionally created for an intentional purpose and reason. And those abilities and gifts he gave you are to fulfill that. It says in that verse that he created us to do good works. Now understand too, none of us have every gift imaginable. Maybe for some of you I just burst your bubble. Because you're like, I do. I'm perfect. I have it all. No, you don't. You know, there are some people like me who have almost every gift, but, you know, even I don't have all of them. You know, I I have to acknowledge, it was hard to acknowledge that last week, but I finally acknowledged that last week. No, none of us have. We have some. And that's the beauty of the church is the stuff that I'm not good at, somebody out here is. Somebody on my team is. And we surround ourselves by people who complement each other. And we see what the kingdom can look like. Your gifts that you have, they might get refined as you come to know Christ more, as you walk with other Christians more. They might get refined as you focus more on what that mission God has given you is. But you need to understand something. When you have that gift, God expects you to use it. I think we could read it like this. If the Holy Spirit gives you an ability, he'll give you an opportunity. In Acts chapter 8, there's a great example of this. We we read a story about Philip, who's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He's there in the Gospels with Jesus. He's not as well known as Peter or John or or James, but he's there. And and in Acts chapter 8, he is being sent by the Spirit to go from Samaria to Gaza. And along the way, he just so happens to run into this Ethiopian eunuch, who is a very important person in the queen's home, the queen's household. And the eunuch, as he comes across this man, he is reading uh, the Old Testament, reading some prophecy, reading Isaiah, and he's struggling to understand what this prophecy is talking about. Could anybody possibly relate to that? Reading through some of the Old Testament prophecy, and you're going, I have no idea what I just read. That's this man. And oh, by the way, Philip just so happens to be walking by. And he grabs him and goes, hey, would you help me understand this? So Philip does. And we read the passage that he's reading, and then Philip explains, yeah, this is talking about Jesus, who is going to come several hundred years later, and who did come recently, and who lived a perfect life, and who died on the cross, and then resurrected from the grave, and now has gone back into heaven. He's our Lord and Savior. And whatever Philip tells this guy, this guy's like, that sounds amazing, I want in. Let's go get baptized right now. And it kind of makes it sound like they just find a ditch full of water, and they go do a baptism right there. We read that story and you're like, oh, well, he just so happened to be in the right place at the right time. Boy, lucky, lucky for that Ethiopian eunuch, right? Or maybe, just maybe, he's exactly where the Holy Spirit 
wanted him to be and where the Spirit needed him to be, so that's where he took him. Because it does say the Spirit led him from Samaria to go to Gaza, was guiding his steps ahead of time. In the world, sometimes we call those coincidence. But in the church, we call those a divine encounter because the Spirit is putting you at just the right place at just the right time for just the right person. And let me tell you, church, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have given your heart and your soul to him, you do have some ability that it can be used for his kingdom. And too often, I think we spend time praying that God would send us an opportunity. And in reality, there's opportunities around you all the time. The question is, are you looking for them? Or are you just looking for a very specific one somewhere down the road? I think if you can get your heart in tune with God, if you can get your heart and your soul and your mind in tune with the Spirit, you're going to see those opportunities all the time, and it's going to help you to not miss those. You may not even realize you've had that opportunity until later. I, too often, or I shouldn't say too often, but, but there are many times where I just have a conversation with somebody. Maybe it's out here in the foyer, maybe it's wherever. And for me, it's just a... I don't even think anything of it. It's just a conversation. And I've had people say, when you said something to me the other day, it really stuck with me. I'm like, I don't even know what I said. <laughs> but I'm, I'm grateful God spoke through me some way, somehow. Make yourself available. And he will give you those opportunities for you to use the abilities that he has given you. But that also comes with something else. Because the Spirit gives us abilities and he impacts the world through us, through our abilities, but he also impacts us with boldness. We sang that song just a little bit ago that fear doesn't stand a chance. Let me ask you a question. When you're presented with some big opportunity, when you know maybe what that opportunity is going to be, and it's a scary opportunity, what are you more likely to pray for? Protection or courage? Because often I know what we pray. Especially when we're sending a group out on a missions trip or, or talking about going someplace that might be a little scary. What do we pray? God, put that hedge of protection around me as if some leaves were going to protect us from the enemy, you know. If you haven't seen the Tim Hawkins bit on hedge of protection, I would encourage you to do it. I can't do it well enough, but basically he's saying, are we just assuming that, that the devil is allergic to a hedge, you know. And this is what we pray for, though, right? The hedge of protection. Protect us. Wrap your hands around us. Keep us safe. What if we prayed for something else instead? God, we know this is scary. Give me the boldness anyway. Give me the strength anyway. Give me the courage anyway. I think too often we think in our minds, God, if you, if you just give me the courage, I'll go do this. I don't think it works that way. I, I don't think boldness leads to opportunity. I think opportunity leads to boldness. I think taking the step of faith when it doesn't make sense, when it does seem scary, that leads to more and more boldness because we see what God can do through us and in in, in everybody else. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, there's a great story that if you were like me and grew up in Sunday school, you heard a lot. If not, it's, it's a very famous story where Peter and John are up in the temple courts. This is one of the first things we read about after Jesus has gone back to heaven after the day of Pentecost happened. So this is in the, the first few days of the church. But Peter and John are up in the temple courts, and they come across a crippled beggar who asks them for money. And they very famously say, we don't have any money, but you know what? We have the power of Jesus, so rise and walk. And the guy does. And again, this is a matter of weeks after Jesus was crucified. 
And those same people who crucified Jesus see Peter and John here, and they, they start questioning them. And they start asking them, okay, hang on. You're doing this with that name of Jesus, right? But they ask them, whose name did you heal this by? And look what Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 9. He says, if, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame. I, I love that. It's like so snarky. You know, that's one of my, I will admit, that's like my one weakness is I'm kind of snarky at times. But, um, yeah, they ask him. And Peter's like, he goes, you healed in somebody's name. And you go, oh, you mean this, this, we gave this man his life back? This wonderful thing we did for somebody? Is that what you're asking about? He goes, if this random act of kindness, or this act of kindness for a man who was lame, and we were being asked how he was healed, then know this. Here's where the boldness kicks in. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom you killed, whom you tried to shame, whom you called a heretic. It's by his name that this man stands before you healed. That's some guts. Because again, just a few weeks earlier, this same Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was. Because he did not want the same fate. He didn't want to go get executed. He didn't want to get beaten like Jesus was beaten. And so he went and denied who Jesus even was. And as far as we know, he skipped town for the crucifixion. He didn't, he didn't even hang around. And all the rest of the disciples, they were in hiding. Except for John. John, who's there, I mean, he, he was at the crucifixion. The rest of them hid. They were scared. They were in locked rooms because they didn't want anybody to find them. And yet here's Peter saying, yeah, it's in his name that we did this. But he goes a step further. Peter doesn't back down, he doubles down. Verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected and now has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Look what it says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They're not astonished by what they did. They're astonished by their courage. They're astonished by their boldness. They're astonished that these men who are just average, ordinary folks, these aren't Bible college professors. These aren't guys who had the Torah memorized like they did. These are just average, ordinary church folk. In fact, I'll kind of let you in on something here. The word ordinary in the Greek, it's one of my favorite Greek words in the entire Bible. It's the Greek word idiotes. I-D-I-O-T-E-S. We have an English word that is very, very close to idiotes. <laughs> and we often use that to describe somebody who might be ordinary and unschooled, at least in our minds. These men basically are saying, these idiots over here are doing things that we can't do. And Peter and John are like, yep, what are you going to do about it? But as again, I love the fact there's a little snark in the Bible every once in a while. It makes me feel a little better about my own self. But here's the point. Here's the point of this entire exchange here. Having the courage to step out in faith can lead to amazing opportunities to build the kingdom of God. And to grow the kingdom of God and to help others find their place in that kingdom. 
If the Holy Spirit has given you an ability, he will give you an opportunity. But at some point, it's up to you to have the guts and have the faith and have the courage to step forward into that opportunity. And here's Peter and John, again, who had been in hiding a few weeks earlier, who now suddenly are remembering what Jesus told them a couple years earlier. In Matthew 10, when he said, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Often I think we have this in our mind that we have to be experts on something to tell other people about it. That we have to have it all figured out ourselves before we can share it with other people here. And I think too often we miss the opportunity when it's right in front of us because we don't have the courage to step out anyway. Because we don't want to look silly. Or we don't want to get rejected. Or we don't want anything that might potentially negatively come with trying and not succeeding. I think often our greatest hindrance in doing this isn't the Holy Spirit's ability, it's our availability, it's our willingness, it's our having the guts and the boldness to do something anyway. Let me ask you a question. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you? Are you willing to take that step in faith? I'm not talking about are you willing to go to your next door neighbor's house and just start going door to door saying, do you know the Lord Jesus is your personal Savior? I'm not asking if you have that. I'm saying, do you have the guts to just invite somebody to church with you? We've got opportunities coming up on the horizon for that. We've got trunk or treat coming up in three weeks. That's a great opportunity for your parents to invite your your, your kids' friends from school or from your your, your soccer team or whatever. Invite the kids in your neighborhood. Hey, come get some candy, play some games. It's going to be great. We've got, this this is so weird to say, Christmas is coming up in two months. I know, right? We've got four Christmas Eve services planned on that Sunday, the 24th. It's going to be great. That's a great opportunity to get somebody to come to church. Just invite them. If you've got a Bible study at your house, invite them to that. If you know they're going through something, just sit and have a conversation with them. Take that step. Take that step of faith and reach out to somebody. Because at some point... A time comes where you've got to be bold. No matter how big or small, the opportunity might be. And are you willing to stand boldly and firmly in the face of a world that seems like it wants nothing to do with Christianity and nothing to do with God and nothing to do with faith? Go back to the story of Peter and John here. They spend some time in jail. They spend some time getting just ripped by these, these Jewish leaders. And as the story kind of winds down they ultimately realize we can't charge these men anymore because there's going to be an uprising, so we're going to give them a very stern warning. And they tell them, don't do this anymore because we will not ignore it next time. So go home and be quiet. And of course, that's exactly what Peter and John do. They go off to some remote village that we've never heard from, and they're never heard from again. That's not remotely true. That's not ex- they don't do that at all, right? No, here's what they do. In verse 23 of chapter 4, I'm just going to read this one to you. It's not on the screen. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, and they reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God in prayer and said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The first thing they do is go back and they start to pray together. And look where their prayer goes here in verse 29. 
They pray, now, Lord, consider the threats and and enable your servants to speak your word with, what? Great boldness. Not protection, boldness. And it goes on in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. They don't ask, God, go out there and, and just annihilate our enemies for us. Just snap your fingers and they'll be gone. They don't pray, God, put us in a protective bubble so that as we do go out there, we'll be safe. No, God, we know what these threats are. We don't care. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Let me ask you a question, church. What would our world today look like if that was our prayer? God, give us boldness. Yeah, our our adversaries are going to be our adversaries. Our enemy is our enemy. And and the world around us is going to be the world around us. What if we said, God, forget trying to change their minds. Just give us boldness to go out and preach your word. Give us boldness and courage to go out and speak your name. Give us boldness and courage to be the church when it's hard to be the church. Give us that. The only thing that they ask for in this, aside from boldness, is God, show some signs so the world knows who you are. What if that was our prayer? What if collectively as a church, that was our prayer? Can you imagine what this area would look like if Crossroads and all the other churches in the area just started praying for that? This world, this area, that this Kansas City metro area would just get shaken for Jesus. You want revival? That's how it starts. You want the word to spread? That's how it starts. The opportunity is there. The opportunity is right in front of us. And I know, I know that it can be fearful to step into something uncertain. And our world has been very, very uncertain. But folks, here's the thing. No matter what the uncertainty of our world is, no matter how crazy or chaotic or scary it can be, God is still on the throne. Jesus is still the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is still very much active in every single thing that we do. Let's have the courage to lean into him. Here's a takeaway thought for you today. Don't wait for an opportunity to find you. It's already there. Instead, ask God to give you the courage to step out when you see it. Open the eyes of your heart so that you can see those that are right in front of you and step out. I don't know what that step is, and maybe, maybe for some of you, you've been feeling like maybe God's pulling you in a certain way. Or telling you, I want you to try this or do this. Go for it. Because if you wait for everything to be perfect, it's never going to be. If you wait for just the right time, it may never come. Trust him and step into that anyway. And let's see what our world can become if the church steps with power and boldness from the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your spirit. We're thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, that you are still on the throne. God, I pray that we would always have that in the back of our mind. We would always have that in our heart because that would give us the courage and the confidence to just step out and trust you. God, I pray for anybody today that you have been, you've been speaking into their heart already and, and just kind of prodding or pushing them in a certain direction. God, let them know that's you. Let them know, God. Give them that assurance. So help that step of faith seem a little less scary. God, we're grateful for your spirit. 
for the, the promise and the presence it gives us, but God, the power of you that comes through now. We're so thankful for Jesus. We pray today in his name. We've come to the time of communion this morning, and I want to read a passage of scripture for you that, um, you know, I still remember when this passage really took on a rich meaning with me. I had read it preceding this, but for whatever reason, it hadn't really clicked. But it was when I was in Bible college, and I was taking a class called Timothy and Titus, and uh, um covering the very tail end of Titus, Titus chapter 3, very short book of the New Testament, but a very rich passage. So I'm going to be reading verses 3 to 7. Here's what it says. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another. So basically what Paul is telling the young Titus is he's, he's given him a little glimpse of his previous life outside of Christ. But yet the point that Paul is making is that to one degree or another, this is a glimpse of the before picture of all of us before Christ. And our life wasn't, um, wasn't a whole lot to brag about. But then he says this in verse 4, and he appropriately begins with this transition word, but. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He didn't save us because we deserve to be saved, because we had earned the right to be saved. No, it was all about his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Perhaps the most important work of all of the Holy Spirit, rebirth and renewal. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The reason as believers today, we stand in a saved relationship with the Lord with the hope of eternity of one day being in the presence of the Lord and being there for all of eternity. We have that promise and that hope to look forward to, not because of personal achievements on our part, but because of the kindness and love of God. That's the way that passage started, is because of the kindness and love of God, that you and I have the hope that we have, that though our life didn't start out as impressive, it's going to end well because of the kindness and love of God. So while we take communion today and we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, remember what was behind all of that. It was God's kindness. It was his love. 
that we didn't earn, but he gave us anyway. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for doing for us what we desperately needed for you to do. And Lord, I pray that uh, the gratitude that is on our lips and on our hearts today is something that uh, we'll be able to share in a very personal way in your presence one day. We thank you for loving us and doing for us what needed to be done. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.